This is Raw Cut. Welcome to Life Births. I'm Matt. And I'm Sarah. From Barker to Broken Hill, we have another great story for you today. Yes, on today's show, we are interviewing Jesse, who is currently in Broken Hill, <laughs> but was from Barker. Welcome, Jesse. Thank you for joining us. Hi. Thank you. Now, the question, first question we ask all of our guests is, uh, where did life start out for you? Yeah, so um, I was born in Mount Barker. Um, and then my parents were living in Macclesfield. So I'm guessing a couple of days later, I went home to Macclesfield. And I lived there until I was 17. So I grew up there. Right. Tell us some of your earliest memories of living around the Adelaide Hills. Oh, my earliest memories actually probably meeting my brother, which was in the same hospital. Um, and when we were young, we used to spend a lot of time playing in creeks, which... I don't know, now as a mum, I'm like, oh, I don't know if I'd let my kids do that. But we used to um, just go and splash around in the water there and play in the creeks or walk around town to a lot of the different local reserves. I remember, like, my mum had kind of said to us where different people we knew lived on each street. So if we ever came off our bikes or anything like that, we knew who to go to. And I came off my bike once and I went to this lady's house and I... My mum had said, I work with that lady, so if you ever need her, you can go to her house. But I don't think I'd met her, and I went to her house and I knocked on the door and I had, like, skin knees and tears. Aww. And I was like, well, I'm Angela Branson's daughter. Can you help me? Um, <laughs> and she did. She drove me home, so that was nice. So that was kind of, I guess, the idyllic parts of my childhood growing up in, in Macclesfield, and we'd walk to the corner shop and get lollies and all of those kind of things, which... I think we're beginning to phase out really um, in terms of safety and children and that kind of stuff. Um, over the next kind of 20 years, that's not really a thing anymore, but um, was probably lucky to be one of the last generations to get that kind of freedom to roam around a small country town. And um, mm. Sounds like an yeah. idyllic country town setting, a yeah, great way to grow up. Mm. Do you agree with the phrase that they say, it takes a village to raise a child. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I felt like we had a bit of a village there. My mum in particular had some really close friends, so it wasn't uncommon for them to babysit or us to be at their house or bits and pieces like that. Um, we knew our next door neighbours really well. We had an older couple, uh, the Willsmores, so they <laughs> um, they lived next door and we'd go there and they She'd bake biscuits for us and she had this big toy chest for her grandkids that we were welcome to play with as well and, and things like that. Fantastic. So as a child, so you obviously got up to some fun with, with siblings and around the town. Um, how did you, going through schooling, did you, did you have the, go to the local school? Yeah, so we were at um, Macclesfield Primary, I think until I was about in year three. Um, and then for different reasons, that wasn't the right fit us anymore and then we were at a Chunga primary so mum would kind of drive us from one school down to another to do school um, each day and we had another family we would carpool with. Right. Yeah and your brother followed you there as well? Yeah yeah we both went over so I think I was in year three and he was possibly in reception I think he didn't do very long at maths who yes 
<laughs> it's weird because we went to primary school together and my yeah. fondest <laughs> memories of you was because at the time I had juvenile arthritis, you would always be there to help me if I needed any help. And because I was in the same year as your brother, it always see you a lot. Um, yeah. One particular time I remember I needed some help getting out of uh, yeah. a step out of a room and you were there to help me. And so, yeah, it's no wonder you've gone on to be such a loving, kind oh, and caring yeah. person because the acts that you showed back then when you were like in year oh. three and four and stuff. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> Just take you back there for a second. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember that as much, but I think, if you can easily help somebody, like, I don't know, I think there's many people in life that just get focused in their own bubble, but I just think it's really easy to hold a door open for somebody or help somebody that needs help. Like it's sometimes those things are so little and insignificant to us, but they obviously make the world a difference to somebody who then remembers them 20 odd years later or yep. you know, probably longer than that. So, <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's nice. That's exactly right. Yeah, just wanted to share that to start There you with. go. We could make this into a bit of a this is your life thing and bring out these great <laughs> moments from your history. So. That's really good. I don't remember too much else than that. So okay. That's okay. Oh, well, we'll bring in some others. But, Jesse, uh, did you, were you into sports? Or what were your hobbies growing up? Were you, uh, yeah, what was Jesse? Yeah, so like all good little girls do, I went off to play netball because my brother played football. Um and that was kind of fun because you'd travel around to different towns in the hills, but I sucked. I was really bad at netball. Um, and one day we were playing and the ball hit me in the head um, and my team got really angry at me because I didn't catch the ball. I just let it kind of hit me. And I was like, this is horrible. I just remember having this moment of going, why am I doing this? Like, this is not where my talents lie. Um, so then I changed course and there was another family at school that played golf. So I went and did junior girls golf for a little while. Um, and that was kind of fun. I wasn't particularly skilled at it, but I liked being outdoors and, and walking and that kind of stuff. Um, but that was pretty well the end of my sporting career. Um, I played mixed netball for a team, like, with adults. I, we, were you on that team, Matt? I can't remember. I think Beck won. And that was pretty interesting because that was a bunch of um, off-season footballers and netballers were playing this mixed netball tournament. And then we had a group of kind of possibly a little bit unfit parents decide that they'd try their hand again. <laughs> Um, and it was, we lost every game. <laughs> like it was a win if we didn't lose substantially. Um, we lost by only a few goals. We'd be like, Yay! so yeah, I've never had <laughs> a good sporting career. Right. Okay. So sport was never for you the thing you were going to do when you grew up. Did you have no. some sense of going through school? This is what I want to be. Um, I was one of those kids that when people were being mean would say I was bossy and when they wanted to be nice would say I had leadership potential. <laughs> so I guess that was always a bit of a theme there. Um, and then I just actually as a kid, I just really wanted to be an artist. I was going to paint and um, be a famous artist, uh, which hasn't quite come to fruition. Um, but, yeah, that was probably what I dreamt of doing as a kid. So I spent a lot of time drawing and painting and creative endeavours. How did you deal with it when people would say those things to you that you're bossy, but then some people would say, you know, that makes a good leader? How, yeah, how did you deal with that? Um, oh, progressively better as I got older. Like I remember being, <laughs> like when I was young, um, kind of under 10, I just would be like, oh, people are bullying me and 
was probably a little bit um, overly emotional about it and didn't have a real sense of who I was because I was a child. And so, yeah, I would say that my first few years of school, probably up until year six and seven, were pretty, um, yeah, they weren't great. Like I had a few friends and stuff, but I was never the popular kid um, and did get picked on quite a bit because, A, I was bossy, but then also I just, I don't know, I was one of those kids people pick on. And I think that sometimes just part of it a little bit yeah well well done <laughs> it builds resilience yeah it? i was about to say resilience. It, does resilience it does yeah yeah fantastic high school let's let's move on yeah where'd you go to high school what did you want to do when you left high school yeah so i went to um afs which is a chunga not a chunga strathalbyn High Eastern Blue School, um, and I did eight, nine, ten there, um, and then I did year eleven and twelve at Matt Barker. So that's a little bit of a story in and of itself. I had started high school, and it was like similar kind of story. I just probably wasn't one of the kids that fit in really well. But by that point in my life, I'd also started attending church and youth group, and I'd built um, a really great core group of friends there. So it didn't bother me as much if I didn't have heaps of friends at school. Uh, but I did have a few. And then at the end of year 10, um, I decided that I was going to leave school and be a hairdresser. Um, I wasn't particularly academically gifted. I, I actually think in hindsight it was a little bit of a stamina thing and not having huge interest in what I was studying. So I left to be a hairdresser and they had me there for three months. So this would have been the beginning of year 11. Uh, and then they fired me a week before the end of the three months, which they're legally entitled to do. And I later found out they'd had a whole string of people come through and, and had done that because it was really cheap labour. It was too... Mm. Yeah. It's just horrible. Um, That's so nice. that fell through. And because I'd kind of grandstanded a bit and said, oh, I'm leaving school to be a hairdresser and suckers, you've got to do two more years of schooling and all the rest, I didn't want to go back to EFS. Uh, but my parents kind of said, well, you need to go back to school. You can't just drop out. So I went to Mount Barker to do year 11 and 12. All right. Okay. We will come back uh, to explore more of Jesse's live here on Life Bus with Matt and Sarah. If you like what you're hearing, please write a review of this podcast on your podcasting app, or you can share this on social media. We are chatting to Jesse. So Jesse, after you returned to school at Mount Barker High, how did things pan out for you there? Yeah, so um, I guess I did year 11 and 12 um, and that was good. And by that point, so right at the beginning of year 11, um, I actually started dating my now husband, Josh. So that was that was fun and I had quite a life, I guess, outside of school. So I basically went to school to study. Um, I have friends to this day from youth group and from church during that season, but I don't really keep in contact with anybody from school. I didn't make those kind of deep friendships. But I think that was kind of good because I could go and just do my work and then go home again. Um, and I got my licence and all those other cool things that you get to do when you're an older teenager. Uh, and so I went back to concentrating on the passion of my childhood, which was... Uh, art and I actually did about six months of art school 
um, when I came back, uh, sorry, straight after high school, so at the end of year 12. Um, so the following year I did about six months of art school. But then at that point I was engaged as well and everything got just kind of too much and I didn't really enjoy it either. Um, so I put that down and I did floristry for a little while um, and didn't quite finish that either. Um, but by that point we'd gotten married and, um, yeah, and someone had suggested to me that I start working as a chaplain. Um, and back in the day, you didn't need any real qualifications for that, just proof that you were good at working with young people. And I'd been doing a lot of volunteer work in our youth group in our church, um, had quite a hand in kind of running that for a season. So I applied and ended up being a chaplain out at Karunda. So I would drive an hour and 20 minutes uh, one day a week to be their school chaplain. Um, and every four weeks, I think it was, I had two days. So I'd stay in town with the family that wanted to have a chaplain. And um, so they'd host me there and and then I'd come back home again. So, yeah, that was kind of the, those few years. What did you uh, What did you love about being a chaplain and what were some of the challenges in that setting? Yeah, so working at Karunda was really quite challenging because they hadn't had a chaplain before and they... And we're a very, very tight-knit community and they're a beautiful community, but I was just this total outsider coming in and they weren't really used to that. So I actually found a lot of the kids I really connected with were other kids that had moved there from outside the community. So the kids that had been there for generations were harder to connect with, but some of the other kids that were newcomers were like, you're a newcomer too and can you help me? And, and that was really good. Hmm. That's pretty special. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's really special. Yeah. We have skimmed over the part that you met your husband ah. and you got engaged and married <laughs> yeah. and we haven't even explored that at all. You must listen to Life Burst a lot and you're trying to ignore it. Uh, so you met in high school. <laughs> How did you two meet each other? You know, like details here, but suitable for, you know, <laughs> podcasting and television yeah, radio. Yeah. yeah. Um, so he was at a church in Nan and I was at a church in Mount Market. Um, and we were both very involved with our churches. And our two churches youth groups actually had a joint event because his sister had befriended a friend of mine from our youth group. So it was just one of those things. It was actually at the Mount Barker pool. Um, and we used to do this thing where we'd like pass each other around because you've got less weight in water. So someone just kind of threw me into his arms, literally. Um, and I was like, hi, I'm Jessie. Uh, and I probably just skipped over a bit as well that I was quite, um, I was quite a mix of things as a teenager. So I had like bright pink hair. I actually used to have a piercing in my lip, mm. um, but I was like full on Jesus. It was a real like mixed match of things, and I think that was me just trying to fit into lots of different baskets. But, um, but yeah, he he really liked me. He also really liked my best friend. So he a couple of weeks later came into his sister's bedroom and said, "Can I have?" both of their phone numbers and she looked at him and she was like no you need to make a decision um and so he went away and then came back a few minutes later and said can I have Jesse's phone number um and he took me out for dinner and we started dating and uh we had a few friends um say that I was too young to be dating him because I was 16 and he was 19 and that was all a bit scandalous but we both just really felt like it was right and um kept really healthy boundaries particularly while we were younger and yeah Wow. Okay. So then you got engaged. So how did he propose? <laughs> ah. The best stories. 
Oh, okay. It's the worst story for you, but. <laughs> no, I, I was being impatient and I knew that he had a ring because we'd spoken about it. Mm-hmm. And so we were sitting just, he had a little unit in my lap and we were sitting watching a movie. And I jokingly was like, oh, now would be a good time for, to propose. And I've been saying that for like weeks and I think he just got sick of it. And he's like, okay. And then he just kind of got down on one knee in the lounge room and proposed. Okay, good. And, um. I was like, oh, okay, and so it's still like it's not this big story to tell. Um, yeah. Well, so. there, there's that leadership potential again. Hey? <laughs> yeah. that, showing your leadership. <laughs> hey, well so, done. Yeah. Yeah. Well, there you go. Congratulations. That's uh, you. <laughs> you achieved what you needed to achieve, and and you're still together. Yeah. So mission complete. Tick. Yeah. Trying to think, nearly twelve years ago now. So while ago. Okay. So is the you know wedding story? Not like that. <laughs> the wedding was a bit more grand, yeah. So we got married. So we got engaged at the end of 2009, um, which was the same year that I finished year 12. So I, I basically finished school and then got engaged, um, which was like people were scratching their heads. <laughs> it was very, um, I guess, countercultural at the time. And then we got married at the beginning of 2011. So, and I would say to friends, because we were both, we were both Christian and we wanted to do the God honoring thing and get married um, before we lived with each other and that kind of thing. So people would say to me, Oh, it's really weird that you're married. Like, how are you married? And I was married at 19. Um, and I'd be like, Yeah, but if I was 19 and I'd moved out to live with my boyfriend, would that be weird? And they'd be like, Well, no. I'm like, Right, well, I've just made the decision to be committed to this one person for the rest mm-hmm. of my life and live with them, um, obviously. So that I think put it into perspective with people a bit more. Um, my mum freaked out when I first told her we were going to get married. And it's funny, I still have, I bought this blanket um, with some of my 18th birthday money and it was black and white. I still have it, very unisex. And I said, oh, that'd be good for when me and Josh get married. And she was like, you can't be thinking about marriage and, and all the rest and just kind of had this freak out. And then she went and spoke with my grandmother who has been an amazing influence on my life. And my grandmother said, it doesn't matter if you're, 18 or 48 there's no guarantees and if she's in love then we should get behind her kind of thing and um mum had a real change of heart and by the time it was my wedding day she was my biggest supporter and and has been since well she probably she always has been one of my biggest supporters but really came around to that idea yeah. and then she yeah so we had the wedding um and we got married in Wistow um on my parents' property, um, or Josh's parents' property, and had a big marquee, a really kind of easygoing wedding. I was a bit of a bridezilla leading up to it. I acted like I was the best person in the world to ever get married and was very over the top. Um, but, yeah, it was a great day in the end, so we were really fortunate with really good weather and that kind of thing. Matt, how old were you when you got married? Uh, I was 20, so and my wife was 18. So, yeah, we, yeah. we, we were married young as well. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, similar reasons we we uh, we went in that direction. Now, I know we, before we move on too far, just just you mentioned your uh, teenage years and how you were such a mix of everything and that that search for identity. Uh, did you want to say anything more about that before we move on too much further about how your experiences as a teenager uh, and your identity then? Yeah, I think um, my. Oh, yeah, so I think had a word. I, I knew that I'd had this experience when I was about 12 
uh, in church and it was like a deeply spiritual experience and I was, um, I guess you would call that a conversion experience. And so I had this faith in Jesus, but I also went to high school every day and there was people I wanted to fit in with. So a lot of the friends that I, you know, hung out with had um, listened to screamo music and wore a lot of black and and that kind of thing. Um, And I, I, you know, semi-enjoyed that as well. And I think as well I've always just naturally been a really creative person. So to have my hair a different fluorescent colour every couple of weeks was actually kind of a creative expression. Um, and I, I still think my mother was really made the right call on that because people would say, oh, you know, how can you let Jessie dye her hair that colour? And she would just be like, well, she's not on drugs and hair grows back, so what's the big deal? <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think a lot of it was kind of creative expression and just trying to figure out who I was. That yeah. makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This is Life Burst with Matt and Sarah. We'll be back with more of Jesse's story after this. Hey, did you know this show is available in video too? You can find it at rawcut.com.au. We are chatting with Jesse today and sharing a burst of her life with you. Now, Jesse, where did life go after you got married? Yeah, so I spoke briefly about the, the chaplaincy role. Mm. So I did that for about a year. Um, and then when I was just 20 years old, uh, we found out we were pregnant with my daughter, Eleanor, uh, and that was a bit of a, a surprise. And I still I had this real moment where I kind of collapsed on the bed and um, being a person of faith, I, I believe that I hear from God at different points in my life and and I kind of collapsed on onto the bed and I was like, this isn't what I wanted. Because um, I really wanted to have four or five years with my new husband and just kind of enjoying life. Um, and I distinctly remember hearing God say that uh, this is what you wanted. It's just in my timing, not yours. Because I always wanted to be a mum. That was never kind of in question. And I just had complete peace about it from that point on, uh, but it wasn't scary. It was really scary being that age. And I think a lot of people went, oh, but you're married, so it makes sense that you're having a baby. And I was like, I was ready for the marriage thing. <laughs> um, but to be a mum, so I was 21 by the time she was born. Um, and she's been a journey in and of herself. She's a she's a very strong little, little girl. Um, so we had her and I had about 18 months off. Um, just at home with her, and I was always going to be stay-at-home mum. Um, didn't just wanted to be home with the kids. That's what I always envisioned I would do. And then 18 months in, I was like going out of my mind. Thought <laughs> it wasn't for me. I was like, this is this is nice, but I can't do this every day. Um, and so they started advertising for the position of chaplain um, at Mount Barker High School. So at the high school that I'd gone to. Hmm. And the person that was in that role beforehand, uh, he had been there for 14 years or something to that extent. And I didn't, no one expected the role to kind of come up, but it did. So I put my hand up and I was successful in winning that position. So we then had Ellie in childcare a couple of days a week, which she loved because she was such a busy and creative little person that that stimulation was really good for her. And I got a couple of days a week. Um, ministering to teenagers, which I'm much more naturally inclined to work with, and talking to adults, (laughs) which was really lovely. 
What would you say, Jesse, to other uh, young mums or mums of any age who are uh, in that kind of 18-month period you have where uh, you have intentions to stay home with the kids but you're unsettled? Would you have any advice that you'd give for those who are living that now? Yeah, I think ultimately happy mum equals happy kids. So I'm a far better mum being home three days a week than I am being home five days a week because those three days a week became more precious. Um, it might have even been two. I don't know, it was two or three days. Um, and we would go to playgroup and we would do all those things. So me working part-time worked really well. Uh, and I think one of the biggest things about motherhood is to just respect that everybody's going to have their own journey because I have other friends that stayed at home full-time and they loved it and that was amazing for them. And I have other friends that work full-time um, and weekends is their family time and that works for their family. And then you might have other families where, you know, dad's home or, or whatever else. And I think each family has to work out what works well for them. And also, I guess, just to be open to the fact that you might think you want to do one thing um, I mean, it could be the other way around. You might think that you want to be working full-time and then it comes to going back to work full-time and, and you just want to be home with your baby. Um, or you might, like I did, think, well, I want to stay home with my baby and we can afford for me to do that and then get really bored and go, no, this isn't what I want to do. Yeah, great advice. You've shared a bit about this thing called youth group and church and God and faith. Uh, you kind of skimmed over it. Would you like to delve a little bit deeper into how that's been really important for you? Yeah, so um, it's really hard to know where to start with that. So I went up with even pre kind of going to church or anything like that. I have a little book that um, friends of my parents had given and I think they must have been Christian and it was about angels being around and I loved that idea. And even as a child I felt spiritually connected to the world around me um and so then coming into church it kind of made a lot of things make sense for me and I was like oh this is the thing that I've been feeling or felt drawn to my whole life um and as I said before I had this experience when I was about 12 and I, I just remember weeping and crying and being like wow this is this is real and I'd been kind of visiting with my neighbors for nearly two years at that point so it was a it was a, a long time and I'd kind of really thought things through and um, my parents had said, you can go to church but don't believe everything they tell you, which was actually really good advice because I really wrestled through everything for myself. Um, and so, yeah, I guess that was the beginnings of it. Um, when I was in youth group, I had a youth pastor who was Pastor Rob and he um, was one of the first people to say to me, oh, Jesse, I think that, you know, one day you'll be an awesome pastor. And I was like, oh, okay. And that kind of sat with me, but that took a bit of a back burner. I think I needed to uh, wrestle with that and have my own self-confidence around it. So that was when I was about 16, no, possibly even younger. Um, and then when I was 24, I said to Josh, um, my husband, who's the first person I told, I said, oh, I think um, I might be called to be a pastor. And he was like, oh, yeah, I know that. <laughs> this is something that sat in my heart for years, but I've never spoken it out. And he's like, yeah, but I know that that calling's on your life. Um, that's no surprise to me. I was like, oh, okay. Um, and I then spoke with the pastor in our church and began that whole process of studying, credentialing and all of that kind of stuff. I want to learn more about when you say spiritually connected to the world around you. 
what what is, what does that mean? Um, yeah, I, I'm happy to talk about it without sounding like a little bit weird. Um, but it's your like, story. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so sometimes I'll go into a place. Uh, it might be a town or, or somewhere, and I'll have a real sense of of that place. So some places this will feel really peaceful to me. Other places I can feel that there's something spiritually askew there. Um, the same when I meet people, but people is a really big one. Um, and so a lot of people in Christian circles would call that like a gift of discernment or that kind of thing. So I can meet somebody and straight away, you know, you're a bit dodgy or, you know, that they're a really genuine person. Um, and that, I, that's been something that has been there my whole life. I've always felt like that. So, um, but something I guess I've honed in on and realised how that works within my own faith and within, um, you know, Christianity, what that kind of looks like. There might be people listening or watching that might is, think that they feel the same way. You know, they might walk into a town or drive into a town and feel what you're describing. Uh, what what would you say to those people? Um, <laughs> yeah, I think talk with somebody, try and find, I mean, if it was me, my I get, yeah, what I would recommend is probably trying to find somebody like myself or a local pastor or a local person in a church um, that is spiritually inclined like that a little bit more and just see if you can have a conversation with them. Um, I genuinely believe that it's a gift from God um, and it works best when used within his kingdom and within, you know, the realms of Christianity. I think otherwise it can get really dangerous. Um yeah, so my recommendation would be to find a safe person that you can talk with about that. So, Jesse, are you, are you, kind of what you're describing is that you you have have this Christian faith, but for you, it's not just about the uh, you know living the right way. But for you, you've experienced this uh, a spiritual level that that is is real for you beyond all of the other rituals and routines that uh, that often people see. Is that would that be fair to say? Yeah, I think it's really interesting because my natural inclination is not as is not a rule follower. Like, um, I really like that song. That's like I'm a rebel just for kicks now. Like, I, I used to park in our church car park back in Nan, and I I specifically park across like three or four car parks just because I could, like during the week, just because it was breaking a rule. Like, I just I don't know. Um, so <laughs> why not? <laughs> like, my journey has always been about relationship so I feel like I have a real relationship with the living God and that's what motivates me to do things so um I don't you know not swear or not do things because it's the rule I do that because I'm in a loving relationship with God um and because I want to honor him and I want to honor everything he's done in my life and I want to honor the blessings he's given me um so it's never been about rituals or rule following because yeah, it'd probably be the worst religion possible for me if that was the case. <laughs> I'm not good at following rules just because they're rules. <laughs> this is Life First. We're chatting with Jesse. We'll be back straight after this. In Australia, juvenile arthritis affects one in 1,000 children. It's a silent yet common condition. Kids Arthritis is here to help support these children and their families. 
To help them, go to kidsarthritis.org. This has been a Raw Cut Community Service Announcement. And we are chatting to Jesse here on Life Burst, who's just moved positions to, uh, to get out of the, the noise of what's happening around you, <laughs> calling from Broken Hill today. Uh, great to have you with us, Jesse. Jesse, uh, you finished your work at Mount Barker High at a certain point. Uh, tell us what happened in those, those years. Yeah, so that was a kind of cool story as well. So I was working there uh, and we decided since we'd had one child, we should have another and fell pregnant with my son. Um, so when I did that, I intentionally fell pregnant this time and I decided I would take maternity leave and then go back because I absolutely loved working there. And then um, the further along I got in my pregnancy, the more I felt like I should resign. And that was really hard because I didn't want to resign. I loved my job, but I, I felt like God was telling me that I needed to resign. And having already been at home and gotten bored, I thought, well, this is going to be really good. I'll, I'll be at home for six months or a year and, and then I'll have this job to go back to. Um, and really felt like I was being asked to not do that and, and resign. How did you know that you're saying God told you to do this, but how do you know <laughs> that he told you to do this? Um, so, I mean, the story I shared earlier about like hearing from God, that was like a sentence, like I audibly heard it. This was more of a, a sense, like a, just a feeling in my gut. Mm. Um, and I probably, it would have been over the period of about three months that I wrestled with that, but just really felt it's kind of like feeling a piece about a decision one way or another. So whenever I thought about taking maternity leave, I didn't feel peaceful about that. But when I I knew that I needed to resign and when I did do that, I was really upset and that wasn't what I wanted to do, but I felt peaceful about it. Mm. Great. Yeah. Tricky. Yeah. Tricky. But tricky. Yeah. Thank you for explaining <laughs> that. Yeah. That's helpful. Yeah. So, so you transitioned back into motherhood. Yes. Yeah. So I had Henry and then when he was seven months old, I felt pregnant with George. Um, and then all of a sudden this feeling and this sense that I'd had that I obviously believe was God um, made a lot of sense because it would have been super awkward to go back to work for a month and then fall pregnant again and then be like, oh, I need more maternity leave. And in such a relational job and role, mm. it would have just, yeah, wouldn't have been good. So um, I had Henry and then I had George. Um, and then when George was one, a similar kind of thing happened. Like I had three kids, so it was obviously a lot busier, but I decided I would go back and study. So, yeah. And what did you go back and study? So I went back and I did a diploma of ministry. So something I guess I had thought about pre-meeting Josh at 16 was going off and doing Bible school, and which is where you kind of go and live somewhere for a year and study. Um, and obviously I couldn't go. Couldn't leave Josh with three kids for a year, uh, but I enrolled in the Bible school that they had through our denomination, which was CRC training, and I did my diploma over about 18 months, and through that I got to go on five week-long Bible camps. So it was like this thing that I'd always really wanted came to fruition in some form because I got to have that kind of live-in camp experience, but it was only a week at a time, so I could get away from the kids to be able to do that. So what type of experiences did you have on those weeks away? Um, just so many. It was amazing. Um, I 
we did a lot of um, teaching, which was really good. I remember on one of the first camps, uh, we had a lecturer come in and he spent about three hours going from one end of the Bible to the other and kind of working in little stories together. And I mean, that's still quite a brief overview, uh, but it was just amazing to kind of sit down and hear all in one step like that. Because often we hear, we might hear one story and other stories and uh, it's so big, but he just kind of was like, well, this happened and then this happened and then this happened and this happened. And that was amazing. Um, and then meeting with other people that were, also Bible school students was really cool. So I've got incredible friendships all over the country now because of that. Um, having recently moved to Broken Hill, I actually had a friend from Bible school drive three hours from Mildura to spend the afternoon having coffee with me last week. And uh, we talked for three or four hours just kind of um, about God and about life and about being a pastor and all of those kind of things. So that was really amazing. Um, had planned to go to Victoria a few times last year for different 21sts and bits and pieces, but um, we couldn't do that because of COVID. So looking forward to open borders again and being able to visit some of those friends. So that was really good. But probably the main highlight was in the evenings, we'd have what they called activation sessions. And so we'd spend time uh, worshipping. So like Christian music worship uh, and praying and, and, speaking things over each other's lives. So kind of asking God whether he had anything to tell the person next to you kind of thing um, and speaking into their lives. So that was just amazing times where I think I had some real emotional healing as well. There were things in my life that I hadn't quite dealt with and I felt like God brought them to the forefront and uh, was able to deal with some of those things. So, And it was just an amazing experience because you had everything from 18-year-olds to 70-year-olds, I think was the age gap when I was studying. So I'm not quite sure who the youngest and oldest student is now, but particularly when I was there, we had yeah somebody who was 18 and somebody who was 70. So it was amazing to have such a mix of people, but we were all there for the same reason. Mm. So as you, uh, you went through your studies, uh, did you have a way that you could live out the things you were learning, uh, you know, in a pastoral kind of way in the things that you felt called to? Yeah. So I did those alongside uh, getting what's called a trainee minister's credential through the CRC. So that has a list of about 30 competencies that you work through. So the study and that kind of went hand in hand. The best analogy is it's a little bit like being uh, an apprentice. Mm. So you go to work and you tick off practical skills, but then you go to trade school and you learn all the theory of it. So the two went hand in hand similar to that. And I did a lot of um, work in my church and ended up being an assistant pastor there when I had my when I got my training minister's credential, which was the middle of 2019, 2018, 2019, yeah. <laughs> and what type of things did you need to do? Um, oh, just kind of everything. Um, it was really good actually because they have a real mix of like, um, you know, you need to be able to spiritually minister to people and, and those kind of more spiritual things, but also do you practically understand how the finances of a church work and can you, um, you know, can you manage teams? Can you do the practical side of things as well? Um, so, but there was some really cool parts of that, like I had to baptise somebody, so that was really special to, to baptise somebody. Um, yeah. This is Life Burst with Matt and Sarah. We're chatting with Jesse, and we'll be back straight after this. 
Raw Cut is also on social media. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter with the handle Raw Cut AU. So you've ended up in Broken Hill. How did you yes. get there? Obviously, you must have gone by car, but how did the story pan out for you to get there? Yeah, so um, halfway through last year, I, I, I was working in another chaplaincy role in Bridge. We probably don't have time to go into that today, but that was really exciting, was really enjoying that. Um, and I was still working at my church in Nan as an assistant pastor, and I just began to feel really, really restless. I was able to go to our denominations national conference and just felt like god when is it my time to do something I, just, I felt like i wasn't doing anything which is not true but just this feeling of restlessness and mm-hmm. and wanting to make a difference and wanting to I, I had really worked through this calling on my life and i felt called to be running a church and that's not something everybody feels called to do and so that has been an interesting thing to work through um so it was feeling kind of this discontent and our pastor in Nan is amazing and he was doing fantastic things and I just felt like well he doesn't he didn't need a successor he doesn't need somebody to to be training up and to take over and we both kind of knew that um all the training that had been put into me was ultimately going to be for the benefit of another place and another group of people um and so was feeling really restless decided to take a, a sabbatical so take some time away from the volunteer work I was doing at our church because I'd been doing it in some capacity for a decade at that point and took that time and two weeks into sabbatical, I got bored, which is a bit of a common theme for me. I'd get bored <laughs> if I'm not doing enough. Getting that. Yeah. Um, and there was this job ad on the CRC website for Broken Hill and it had been there for five years. And so I emailed the pastor up here and said, is this still a thing? Um, are you still looking for somebody? And he actually, he rang me up and said, yes, we are. Would you like to come and spend the weekend at, at mine and my wife's house and um, you and your husband can come up and you can preach and we can all see what we think of each other. <laughs> um, so we did that and pretty well as soon as we drove into Broken Hill, I started crying and I was like, we need to move here. I feel cold here. This is what I've been waiting for. This is why I've been restless. And my beautiful husband was like, Jesse, we're not moving to Broken Hill just because you cry. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which was very good life advice. Don't make decisions just because you feel emotional. So we we came, we spent the weekend uh, with Pastor Wall and, and Joy, who are up here currently, and they moved here. Um, they had retired, but they moved here 17 years ago um, to caretake the church for a year or so. So they'd fallen in love with the place and have been here quite a while. And we came and we spent um, spent the weekend with them, just really loved it. Um, really loved who they were as people, really loved the church, uh, but obviously wanted to make the right decision for us and as a family and all those kind of things. So that was in November last year and that snowballed the process of, I guess, us looking at is there a school that the kids will work well in? Is there, um, you know, is there everything that we need in the town? Is this what God's calling us to do? I, I wrote a list at one point. It was like 15-odd reasons why we should move to Broken Hill um, starting with the most spiritual down to the most practical. I ordered it like that <laughs> for some reason. It's probably how I live my life, um, whereas Josh is far more practical. And I kind of say to people we had a few arguments and a lot of discussions, um, and then we went to Moon to Bay over Christmas, which we normally go to the York Peninsula somewhere and we were camping and 
ran into this lady that I'd met a few times through the school and her family had moved for work um, when their kids were a similar age and she just kind of expressed to us how um, awesome it was to go and have that adventure as a family. And that was a really powerful conversation to us. We'd had, it's, it's a very, <laughs> trying to not like, there's lots of little sideways to this story, but in amongst all of that, my best friend nearly died, which made me go, well, I'm not going anywhere, but then I couldn't kind of put it down. And similar to how I spoke earlier, there was this piece about a different decision. So me and Josh both really felt like it was our decision. We didn't feel like either our leaders or even God was pressuring us one way or another. Um, but then when we kind of almost decided not to go, we felt really uneasy and not at peace. And then we had this conversation around adventure and then this word adventure just kept coming up um, in so many conversations. I went to one of the ministers who's been around in our denomination from the very beginning and said, oh, look, I'm not sure if you know that I've gone to Broken Hill to visit and we're thinking about moving up there. What do you think? And he says to me, oh, well, I'm probably the wrong person to ask. And I'm thinking, you're probably the wisest person I know. <laughs> Are you the wrong person to ask? And he said, um, I've got such a sense of adventure. If it was me, I'd already be up there, Jesse. <laughs> so, um, and again, it was this word adventure. And we just felt like we were being called to go on this adventure as a family. So we're three and a half weeks in now and the kids are loving school. Um, I can see the kids' school from the house. We've moved into the old church manse that nobody's lived in in 20 years, which has been such an awesome blessing because we now have somewhere to live and get settled in the town, but it also means the church can financially support us without being out of pocket. So that just kind of was a win-win for everybody. And, yeah, um, we're loving it so far. I had my first sermon on Sunday and that went well, I think. <laughs> so, um <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's basically the story in a nutshell of how we ended up here. I think we always, I always felt called to lead a church. Um, I wasn't expecting it to be Broken Hill. Uh, we, I visited Broken Hill when I was 15 and just loved all of the pro-heart artwork. And then we went to see his gallery. So when we came here, we walked in the foyer, there's this giant pro-heart painting. And I was like, oh, my goodness, that's a pro-heart painting. And then I found out he was one of the founding members of this church. So that was just another small thing that, for me, was confirmation that this is where we're supposed to be. Wow. Mm. Wow. What a life so far. <laughs> I know. I think adventure is the word that sums yeah. it up. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. That's like the it word right now is it, adventure. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, huge. Now, in the last couple of minutes that we have left of the show, if you had one piece of advice to share with those who are listening to the show right now, what would that be, Jesse? I think my piece of advice for those listening is um, kind of a little bit what I was saying earlier about rules and religion and, and that kind of thing, is my piece of advice for everybody out there would be, um, regardless of where you are in your journey of life and perhaps your journey of spirituality, um, is I truly believe that there's a God out there that, that loves you and wants a relationship with you. And so I guess the advice is if you've perhaps had an experience with religion or had an experience with Christianity that's been negative um, and been about rules and that kind of thing, to maybe revisit that because I actually think that God is about relationship and not about rules per se. Well, thank you for sharing that advice with us and for being so open and honest about your story as well with us today, Jesse. It's been yeah, thank a pleasure you. to have you on the show. 
Mm. Yeah, it's been fun. <laughs> All the best to you and your family on uh, many more adventures ahead. I hope you hope the adventure continues for you because that's, uh, yes. that's what you live for. And uh, yeah, I'm sure a lot of people are encouraged by your story. Yeah, thanks, guys. This has been Life Bursts. Uh, you can catch up with us wherever you get your podcasts from or on YouTube and Facebook. Uh, I'm Sarah. I'm Matt. Thank you for joining us once again. Life Bursts is hosted by Matthew Karat and Sarah Freeman with production by Reese Jarrett and Kay Hoshra Ozadigan with additional assistance by Brett Freeman. For more episodes of Life Bursts, go to rawcut.com.au. This is a raw cut production.